So again, in this lesson on the power of positive confession, we have been discussing the four things that God wants us to confess. These four things help shape our identity that I was just talking about. Our identity with and in Christ. Again, the four principles or facts that we've been talking about for the last several weeks that God wants us to confess are what we are in Christ, where we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, and what we can do in Christ. Now, as I have said before, in the New Covenant, that's the New Testament that we have, that was fashioned by God through his son Jesus, we were given a new identity. This was to restore our original identity with God that was destroyed by Adam uh, through his sin in the garden when he disobeyed God. When he disobeyed God, we were cut off spiritually from God and we no longer had that fellowship with God that God had ordained for mankind to have. Taken together, the truths that are set forth in these four facts that we need to confess give us in large measure the scope of this new identity that God commands us to walk in. Thus far, we have covered the first two principles, which are what we are and where we are in Christ. Today, we will look at the final four, final two principles, thinking about basketball. The final two principles, and they are what we have in Christ and what we can do in Christ. Now, let's look at what we have in Christ. And we're going to begin with the statement that all things, I'm sorry, what we have in Christ. All things are yours. Now, if I were to tell you this morning that what you have in Christ is literally everything. That is everything. Everything. How many of you would really believe this as you consider your present circumstances where you really don't have everything? Maybe you have some unmet needs. Maybe you have some challenges that need to be dealt with. Challenges that have to do with lack. Challenges that have to do with meeting some financial need and so forth. Well, let me say this. In spite of what you may be facing at the present time, how many of you would believe that you have everything if that's what the Bible says. If the Bible says it, would you believe it? Well, let's look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21. Sort of sets it forth very clearly. Uh, this is Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, therefore, let no one boast to men, for all things are yours. You should underline all things. Now, notice that the scripture does not say all spirituals or all spiritual things. It says things. Now, some obvious examples of things are money, land, houses, automobiles, clothes, and jewelry. And God said all things. All means everything with nothing, meaning no thing left out. Now, notice also what the scripture does not say. It does not say that all things are God's. It says all things are yours. Apostle Paul is writing this to every individual person in the family of God. He's writing it to each one of us. 
you should personalize it and say, all things are mine. All things are mine. Now, Apostle Paul continues his elaboration of the believer's inheritance because what we're talking about when we talk about these four principles and the things that God has ordained us to have through Christ Jesus, we're talking about an inheritance that he has given us, part of our inheritance. Apostle Paul continues a description of this inheritance in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 22. Just the next verse. And he says this, whether Paul or Apollo or Cephas, and here Cephas is Peter, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. That's everything. Everything today, everything tomorrow, everything in the future. Now, what does it mean when it says Paul is yours? Apostle Price explains it this way. He says that Paul is yours because Paul did not receive the revelations that he received from God only for his personal benefit. Paul received those revelations from God so that he might communicate them to the body of Christ. That's us. Then in the process of communicating them, Paul would also get the benefit and privilege to use them for his life. So you could say that about every other teacher in the Bible, every other figure in the Bible. All things are yours. Now, we can now ask, to whom does the world belong? Remember, it says, or the world in uh, verse 22 belongs to us. According to what we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 22, the world belongs to us. Now, through Apostle Paul, God tells us that the world belongs to us. But what does this mean? Does this mean, for example, that you could go out and indiscriminately grab a block of land or some property, like we could claim this hotel here is ours? Because it says all things belong to me. No, it does not mean that. It means that God has given us gifts and talents to get wealth so that we can obtain those things that will enhance our lives because the world belongs to us. Meaning it's out there in the world, it belongs to us. There may be steps that we have to take to get it, so, but it belongs to us. Meaning that there's nothing beyond your realm of possibility providing you do some things on your part. Now let's recall what the Psalm says in Psalm 115, verse 16. Psalm 115, 16 says this, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. In other words, they belong to God, but the earth, he, meaning God, has given to the children of men. The earth he has given to us. God created this world for us, his children. If he gave us the earth, then everything in the earth belongs to us. And the good thing about this is that when God gives it to you, he gives it to you all the way from the surface all the way down to the core. We have another witness that spells this out uh, for us 
And that witnesses in the first chapter of Genesis, a scripture that you're very familiar with. You could probably quote it without even looking at it. Genesis 1, 26, which says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You know that you have dominion over all the creeps in the world. So you don't have to let any creep bother you in the subway, on the streets, on the bus, at work, anywhere. You have dominion. Now, what does dominion mean? Dominion means lordship. It means rulership. It means oversight, caretakership. It means ownership. We are supposed to have dominion, meaning ownership and rulership over the earth. This is how God created us. This is our possession now. And through Christ Jesus, it was restored to us. Now, our possession is not waiting for us when we get to heaven, but it is ours in this life on earth now. We're going to look at this statement. God shall supply all your need. Whether you know it or not, or accept the fact, God is actually very interested in what you experience in the practical issues of your day-to-day -day life. To this extent, our God is a God of all, and he is a God of, as Ellen Nate was teaching this morning in discipleship training, he is a God of more than enough. He doesn't just give you enough or barely get along quantity. He gives you more than enough. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And the word says this in Philippians 4, 19. And you're very familiar with this scripture as well. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, before I continue, and this is not in this uh, written scripture, but let me point out something about this. It says, and my God shall supply all your need. This is Apostle Paul writing. I always like to take you back to uh, first, I mean, first in, in Philippians 4, 18, the verse before this. Paul is talking about how good members of the body of Christ had supplied him with the things that he needed to help in the ministry, how they had worked to support the church, the body of Christ, and so forth. So after detailing some of this, then he says, and my God, based on what you gave and what you did, and so shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It requires us to do something. That's why we talk about tithes and offering and what derives from that and so forth. Ellen A. just told us this morning how good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give into your bosom. That's based on you doing the first part, which is to give, so forth. So I just wanted to point that out. Uh, the scripture does not say God had supplied. It says God shall supply, which means the need cannot be met until it becomes a need. The need is supplied not according to your poverty, your empty wallet, or your empty bank account, but according to his riches in glory. How? By Christ Jesus. 
It is your confession of this fact that causes the need to be met. And I can recall when the drapes were tattered and the rug needed replacing, things needed fixed in his house. When Apostle Price got a hold of this reality and moved on it by faith, he used to go around the house confessing that all my needs are met by God according to his riches and glory. He was saying, I am rich, I am rich, all my needs are met. And so the two girls, it was only Angela and Cheryl at that time, they were looking at him like he's crazy. He said, we don't have this, we don't have that, we don't have this new, we don't have that new, the drapes needs replacing, the flooring needs replacing, we need new carpeting, we need new furniture and so forth. What he decided goes back to what I just said. If you are confessing that all your things are met, if you want to get out of debt, you need to stop spending. So what they did on a dime, they stopped buying. Say, we want to get out of this debt. You get out of debt by not adding to that debt and only buying what you absolutely need and so forth. So things, he let things go, but he made this confession. And as they say, the rest is history. Through all of the things that were appointed for him to do, the writing of the books, the teaching around the world, developing one of the largest churches in America and so forth and so on. Apostle Price's needs were met beyond belief, beyond belief, to the extent, as you were teaching this morning, Nate, that he has been able to benefit so many other people because they give away 44% of their income. That helps a lot of people, it helps a lot of churches, it helps Crenshaw, it helps us here in New York and so forth. So your getting is not just for you. You're being supplied to the overflow means that you have something left over that you can share and that you can give and so on. And again, we were talking about that this morning in uh, Elder Nate's class. Now, Let's talk about reconciling spiritual and material things. According to God's word, we are already blessed. You are already blessed, meaning it's been given to you already. We possess blessings, not curses, as a result of being in Christ. Blessings are part of our inheritance. In Ephesians 1.3, we are told the following. And I know I've taught this before and you're familiar with this scripture. Ephesians chapter one, verse three, it says, blessed or blessed be the God and father of our Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in, in the heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Has blessed is past tense, meaning that it has already been done. According to the scripture, we are blessed with all spiritual blessings. Now, all is an inclusive term. No blessing is left out. But here's the dilemma. It is great that you are blessed or that I am blessed with all spiritual blessings. But your roof is leaking. Your child's tuition is due. And you have two months of past rent that are due. Those things are not spiritual, they're material. Now, a legitimate question could be at this time, how do you reconcile these spiritual and material things or these 
spiritual blessings with the need for material things. You do so by going back to Jesus. Jesus is the foundation head of everything, of all of it. He is where it all begins. Now, the question restated slightly differently is this. How are these spiritual blessings translated into material blessings in everyday life where you need the material blessings to be manifested? Apostle Price says that all goes back to the origin the origin of everything and is, he says, a simple biblical truth. We have to think of things in terms of origin. In other words, we have to think of things in terms of their origin. And this takes us back to Genesis chapter one, verse one, which tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Apostle Bryce goes on to explain it. He asks two questions. Question one, what are the heavens and the earth? What are they having in the earth? The heaven being the solar system and the earth. Are they spiritual or material things? They are material, of course. Question two. When we're talking about the heaven, we're talking about the firmament. We're talking about the solar system. We're, talking about, we're not talking about in heaven where Jesus is seated at the right hand of, of the Father. We're talking about the solar system. Question two. Which came first? God or the earth, it was God, of course. Then God must be more real than the heaven and the earth that he created. Apostle takes us another step toward our question. He says, how do we reconcile material and spiritual things? We turn to the word in the Gospel of John, chapter four, verse 24, where Jesus says, God is a spirit. Now, look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. That's Gospel of John, chapter 1, the very first verse in that chapter, which says, and you're familiar with this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here, Word is a Greek, in the Greek is Logos, L-O-G-O-S, and Logos means all of these things that follow here. It means Jesus or the Son of God, he's Christ, or the Messiah, or the second person of the Godhead. God is the first person of the Godhead. Jesus is the second person. And of course, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. So in the beginning, Jesus, the Logos, was with God. Now, if anybody should know what God is, whoever was with God in the beginning ought to know. Jesus was there, and Jesus tells us in John 4, 24, that God is spirit. Now, when you look at that scripture, it actually says God is a spirit. But I want to make it clear that God is spirit and not just a spirit, just like there are all kinds of things that are spirits and so forth. God is spirit. On the prior page, the question was asked whether the earth was material or spiritual, and we determined that it was material. If that is true, and God created it, and Jesus said that God is spirit, then it means that a spirit created material things. It tells us that this spirit must be more real than the material things that, it, that he created. You're following this. The Bible documents that everything that is material had its origin in the spirit realm. This means that 
material things are dependent upon spiritual things for their existence. And this confirms that everything starts in the spirit realm. Everything starts in the spirit realm. We started in the spirit realm. You realize that? Always ask this question. Did we have an origin or existence before we came here on earth through the birth canal of our mother? Did we have an existence? Where was that existence? How was that existence? We were... We, we were spirits. Exactly, exactly. So when the scripture says, blessed be the God and Father, and now in the third paragraph, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, it means that your leaky roof was first of all spiritual. It means that the money you need to pay for a child's tuition or the payback rent was first spiritual. This is because it was a spirit that created all material things. Everything in and on this earth originated in the spirit realm first. And we need to know this because this is why the word tells us to look not at those things which are seen. Because they are what? Temporary. But look at the things that are not seen because they are permanent. In other words, they're more real than the things that are seen. And besides, what we see is not always what we think we see. For example, you're looking here and I'm leaning on the podium and you see this as a solid piece of plastic. But the truth is, if you understood it as the physicist understands it, you would know that this is really just moving, circulating atoms. And I should be able to put my hand right through it so forth so so this we see it as solid stuff but it really is floating atoms so forth. everything originates in a spiritual beginning now you have your new roof in heavenly places in Christ you have the money you need for tuition or rent in heavenly places what you have to do is believe it and by faith Bring it into the reality of this material world through your positive confession of God's word that says that you already have it. All your needs are met. You confess it. You confess that I have the tuition. I have the rent. I have the new roof. But it starts in the spirit world or in the realm of the spirit. And by faith, it is brought into the material three dimensional world where we live, where we live. Now, it's important, I say a little bit more about this, I think, a little bit later, but let me just say it right here. There are two dimensions that exist, really side by side. That's the physical dimension, the three-dimensional world that we live in, and then there's a spiritual dimension that's right next to it. They're not in sequence. In other words, it's not, uh, they're right side by side. Everything that you need already exists in the spiritual realm. And you've heard us say this time and time before that the currency in the spiritual realm or in the spiritual world is faith. Like money is the currency here in the earth realm. If you want to go to lunch after service today, you have to pay with currency. But in the spiritual realm, if you want to bring something out of that realm down here, faith is a currency. You have to use your faith. That's why developing strong faith is so important. 
So again, it starts in the spirit world and it's brought into the material three-dimensional world where we live by faith. Faith appropriates it from the spirit realm into the material realm. That's why your faith is so important and developing strong faith is so important. Now, God has made an investment of all spiritual blessings that's actually a deposit for us in Christ in the heavenly places. But again, we have to start with the spiritual and bring them by faith into our material world. According to God's word, all our needs are met. By faith, we must confess this. When we do, we can expect that all our needs will be met. And when we say all our needs will be met, it doesn't mean that, that the money you need is going to fall out of the sky. Provision will be made where you will have an opportunity and an ability to gain what you need. Now, someone may actually give it to you, so forth, but you will be able to meet your needs because they're already met. And it will be manifested in due season. Now, again, as I said, faith is a currency used to acquire things in the spiritual realm, just as money is a currency used to buy things on the earth. That's why I don't know how anybody could teach their congregation that faith is not important. Faith is so vitally important. That's what it means that the just shall live by his faith, that we walk by faith and not by sight and so forth. And that's why uh, I, I think it's in Romans 12, 3 or 12, 2. It's clearly spelled out that God has dealt to each one of us the measure of faith. So when you're born again, you get the measure of faith. So it's, faith is a God-given inheritance just like a lot of other things. And you have it uh, when you're born again. You may not use it, you may not develop it, but you do have it and so forth because it's so important. Now, let's turn to the fourth confession that we are to make if we are to live this victorious overcoming life that God wants us to live. And that fourth one is we just got through talking about what we have. We're now talking about what we can do in Christ. Now, this is the fourth principle that God wants us to confess. This fourth biblical truth that we must learn and confess if we are to live that totally victorious life uh, in this life, what we can do in Christ. Now, this has to do with your ability. It, it has to do with being empowered by God's word. It's about having the ability to do what it takes to get what needs to be done, done. This may be on your job. It may be writing a book. It might be giving a lecture. It might be acquiring this and so forth. But it has to do with ability. Now, you have ability through Jesus Christ and God way beyond your wildest dreams. This ability is beyond what tradition, what wrong theology and religious rituals have told you. Now, when I say you have ability beyond your wildest dreams, let me give you an example of something that was reported in Time magazine so many years ago that most of you probably weren't here. It's the story of this frail old lady sitting on the porch. She could barely move. And her son was underneath the car, fixing the car which was right out in front of her in the yard. She was sitting on the porch and something happened that the thing holding up the car moved and the car fell on 
the sun, threatening to crush any life that was left in him, out of him completely. Well, this frail old lady who could barely move, did not have the strength of, of uh, a mouse, climbed off the porch, went over to the car, reached down and lifted it up. And the son was able to scurry out and out of harm. Now, this was reported and written in Time magazine. This has happened. This was a true story. Now, that was ability that she had in her that she summoned it up at the time that she needed it. She summoned up that strength that she needed. When she got back to the port, she collapsed and they had to take her to the hospital. But the point is, is that she did through that God-given residual ability in her, she did what it took at the time to save her son. So we have ability and a lot of us have done things that seem miraculous or supernatural at times and, and so forth. It's that strength and that empowerment that we have through God that God has given us through Christ Jesus. But I'm now in the third paragraph. But we have not been taught enough about this ability. Yet the Bible is full of powerful declarations about our abilities. I just gave you one from actual life. You can do everything that the word of God says you can do. How, and it says you can do a lot of things. And, and I've given in other lessons a whole list of those things that it says you can do. However, you will never be able to do more than you more than you are willing to confess that you are able to do based on God's word. It is confession through faith that ignites and activates God's power in your life. I can do it. Maybe the little old lady was saying as she moved towards her, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. She did it. She lifted that car off her son. And he was saved from having the life crushed out of him. Now, here we are not talking about positive things for the mere sake of being positive. Being positive obviously is better than being negative. But this is not what God is talking about in terms of positive confession. We're talking about the trigger that releases the bullet. That bullet is the power of God, which is his words, our confession of his words. That's the bullet. That's a bullet that we released through our positive confession, so forth. Look at what Proverbs 6, 2 tells us when it says this. Another familiar scripture, Proverbs 6, 2, it tells us, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. Now, this is a powerful scripture. A snare, as you know, is a trap. So in modern language, we could say it this way. You are trapped by the words of your mouth. If the words are words that limit you, then you will be limited. If you say, there's no way I can do this, there's no way that we'll ever accomplish this by the end of the day. There's no way. If you say that, then you just set up the law for yourself. There's no way for you and so forth. The words of your mouth are very important, whether they trap you or whether they release you. Now, in Matthew 12, 31, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 30, 37, I'm sorry. Matthew 12, 37, Jesus expressed the same warning when he says this. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. In the words of Jesus, you are justified by your words. Knowing and saying what God's word says about you can be the difference between being trapped and condemned or being justified and set free. 
what you say is so important. You have to watch your mouth. Elder Ivor taught a whole series on watch your mouth. Be careful what you say. You're trapped by the words of your mouth. And you already know that Proverbs uh, 21, 18 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. So you can speak life to your situation or you can speak death to your situation. You can speak limitation to your situation or you can speak absolute abundant ability to your situation. Now, you can see I'm in the uh, second paragraph on page seven at the top. You can see the clever, insidious plot that Satan has contrived over the years to keep the word of God, the Bible, out of the hands of God's people. And a lot of us grew up in churches where the Bible was there, but it was not in our hands. You know, so it was sitting up on a platform, a huge Bible that somebody would look at and read one or two scriptures on a Sunday and close it and go back and teach whatever they are going to teach. It's Satan's plot to keep the word, to keep teaching like we teach in this church out of the ears and hearts of the believer. This is what God is referring to in Hosea 4.6 when he says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, a lack of knowledge of his word. God also says this in Isaiah 5.13, and you have it right there. He says, therefore, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Here, a lack of knowledge of God's word can either end in your destruction or in your being held in captivity. Now, that captivity be a captivity to a limiting situation, captivity to a bad habit, which could be smoking, drinking, or gambling. It could be captivity in your never rising above a minimal level of achievement in your life and so forth. You can be held captive that way. So we have to learn to confess God's words, words like Philippians 4.13, which says this. Philippians 4.13, this is one that you know and many of you have, have cited, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ gives you the strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that all things are based upon what God says in his word. It does not mean just anything that comes to your mind. You can't decide, for example, one day that you want to become the next king of England because that is not something found in God's word. Let's examine some examples of our ability and power to do in Christ that we find in the word. Consider again Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. We've gone over these before in this series. Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, where Jesus says this, verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Verse 18, they will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no, by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they, meaning the sick, will recover. Now, these are all positive things that, that we discussed before. This is our ability in Christ. But we have to believe and confess it then follow that confession by action, by doing it. Now, Mark 16, 17, let's look at this where Jesus says this. This is the top of page eight. Mark chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus says, and these signs will follow those who believe. Apostle Price always adds that these signs will follow. Now, let me explain what he means by that. You make it one sentence, and these signs will follow those who believe that these signs will follow. In other words, 
you have to believe that these signs will follow, not just recite the word. You've got to believe and expect the signs to follow, and they will. Those who believe will speak with new tongues, cast out demons, take up serpents, that's taking them up accidentally, drink any deadly thing also unknowingly, and it will not hurt them. This is our authority and our ability in Christ, but it will not work unless we believe it and confess it. Now, Jesus also set forth a high aspiration for the believer, that's us, and what we, the believer, would be able to do today. You've seen this before. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 12. John 14, 12, where Jesus says this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than those will he do, because I go to my Father. Now, and we touched on this this morning in Elder Nate's class. Elder Nate touched, he says, when Jesus walked to earth, he was the only body of Christ that was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was his power source. Today, the Holy Spirit is not just in one believer in the body of Christ, but in every believer. God has not limited his power to just one entity or one person. His spirit is in the entire body of Christ, the church. Therefore, collectively, we can do greater works because there are many more of us to do the work of the Lord. For example, Jesus had only two hands to lay on the sick for healing. As a body of Christ today, we are tens of thousands of hands. It is conceivable that we could lay hands on tens of thousands of people at one time when Jesus could only lay hands on two, one hand on this one, one hand on that one. This is greater in quantity, but we're not talking about necessarily greater in quality because in the final analysis, after you have raised the dead as he did, that's a hard act to follow. But we can do greater things in quantity. We can reach more people. Apostle and other ministers of the gospel reach millions of people on Sunday morning all over the world. Remember, Jesus had a very limited area around which he walked. Occasionally, he took a little rickety boat, but for the most part, they walked everywhere. They only could reach and touch uh, a limited number of people. But the body of Christ can reach people through television, through travel, millions of people all over the world. At the bottom of the page, we are overcomers. In Christ Jesus, we have the ability to overcome the world. In 1 John, that's little John, close to Revelations, 1 John uh, chapter 5, verse 4 says this. For whatever or whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. In the sight of God, our Father, we are overcomers. And he sets forth this fact in his word in the scripture that we just read. This means that you can overcome anything that Satan has brought against you in your life. This means overcoming an inferiority complex, overcoming bad judgment, overcoming a bad career choice, overcoming trouble in a marriage, overcoming trouble with fellow workers or trouble with management on the job, or overcoming a bad habit such as drinking, smoking, or gambling. But you will have to believe it and begin to confess your victory over the challenge and then act as if you have overcome. I like to give this example in terms of smoking, for example. Same thing with a glass of 
you have to take that cigarette and hold it up and look at it and say and talk to it and say, wait, wait a minute now. I'm smoking you. You're not smoking me. If the cigarette is smoking you, then you don't have any hope. You're smoking it. You got the pack. You open the pack. You took it out. You lit it up. Who's in control? The cigarette or you? You're in control. Same thing with that glass of whiskey. The bottle didn't jump off the shelf at the liquor store and follow you home. You brought it home. You opened it. You poured it in the glass. You lifted up the glass. You did it. It didn't do it itself. So you have control. You have to confess that you have ability over these things. And you do. You do. And some of the the greatest success stories in in kicking the habit of people who, who say, I did it cold turkey. You know, where they just stop. Something told them that they could quit and they quit. So forth. So we are overcomers. We are world overcomers. You are an overcomer, but you have to fight, meaning you have to put forth some effort. The Bible tells you to fight the good fight of faith. When you fight, this is a good thing. You have available to you the whole armor of God to help protect you. In other words, when you go out, you don't just go out with yourself. You go out with the full armor of God. And Ephesians 6.13 tells us this. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of the evil, a day of evil comes, in other words, it's a day of a challenge, a day of whatever setback happens, whatever loss, whatever discouragement, whatever. When that evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, Ephesians 6.13, put on the full armor of God. But this is what you have to be clear about. We're not talking about armor like they had in the olden days or even things that you may equip yourself with today if you're in battle on this one point I want you to be clear the full armor of God is the full word of God in other words the more word of God you know the more you can clothe yourself with the armor of God in terms of protect you put on the armor I mean you put on anything that can help you from the word of God that you can bring to mind faith from the word of God, love, godliness, joy, kindness, power, strength, patience, endurance, knowledge, wisdom, a sound mind, and the mind of Christ. These are things that come from the word of God. The word says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You can be strong. The word says, fear not. You don't have to fear, so forth. And we're going to cover this in uh, the next uh, couple of minutes. So your positive confession is, I am a world overcomer and I have overcome this challenge or difficulty by Christ Jesus. You can confess that. Now we have the victory through Christ, which is what we've been talking about all along. Anyway, we can go through any challenge and overcome it knowing up front. This is knowing up front at the start of it that we have the victory through Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, we're told this. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As pointed out already, what Jesus accomplished on the cross is credited to our individual accounts. Jesus died, was buried, rose from the dead, and ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. In this progression, we are identified with Christ at every stage. We've already talked about this. Crucified with Christ, we were buried with Christ, We rose with Christ and we ascended with Christ. With all of this, we can choose peace and reject fear and worry all the time. 
In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the word says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus had already told us that he was leaving his peace with us, saying this in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It is from the scripture, the written, inspired word of God, that we derive peace and comfort. That is why we look to Romans 15, chapter 4, which says this. Romans 15, chapter 4 says this. For whatever things were written before, this is the things written in the scriptures, in the Bible, were written for our learning. That is so we can avoid the lack of knowledge that Hosea 4, 6 talks about. Were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. And we have the assurance and encouragement of Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Another familiar set of scriptures. Philippians 4, verse 6 says this. Be anxious for nothing. That means don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let God know what you need. Seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, we need to recognize that in all these things that we have been given to us in and through Christ, again, constitute an inheritance. If you do not acknowledge and act on that inheritance, Satan is going to steal everything that you have. You know, you realize when you are made a beneficiary in a will, it could be of a relative or even someone that you don't know, you have to go and find out what's in that will to a reading of that will, where the lawyers are reading that will, so you'll know what you have. Then you have to accept what you've been given and then you have to act on it, meaning you have to take it. If it was money, you take it and spend it or, or put it in a bank. Or if they left you a plot of land, you have to go and actually claim that plot of land and do all the legal things it takes to put that land or that car in your name. You have to act. We've been given an inheritance. The inheritance is written in the will. Where is the will? The will is in the Bible, the New Testament. That's our will, the New Covenant. You don't know what you have unless you know what's in the will. That's why we try to teach some aspect of it to you every Sunday. But you read the will for yourself. You have the will. It's in your heart, in your mouth, near you. And what is it? It's the word of faith that we teach. You have the will at your hand all the time. So you have it. But you have to know what's in it. And then you have to accept it. And so forth. The, this inheritance this, of rights and privileges are part of God's gift that he has bestowed on the believer. However, the only way you will have these blessings in actual manifestation, manifestation in your life is to confess them. Confess that you have them. You confess that you have them. This is what the power of positive confession is all about. Confessing the positive thing that God has deposited in your life and they are throughout the word. And he's done all this through Christ Jesus. Again, Confession simply means that you are saying what God says about your life and circumstances. It's all good. God says that you are strong. You confess that you're strong. God says that all your needs are met. You confess that all your needs are met. God says 
fear not, fear not. The word says that you have the mind of Christ, of, of, of Christ. Act like you have the mind of Christ and not act like that you have your mind. <laughs> you have the mind of Christ. 